Well, in case you can't tell, Point Way family is not a perfect family, but uh, I know some of you are shocked now, uh, including and very much so the pastor as well. But we love each other and uh, we, we work and we strive together and we pray together, and so that's important as well. In fact, I forgot something in the announcements. Uh, Franny sent us a card to the church family, and so I had meant to read it during announcements and totally forgot, but it's still up here. So it says, with sincere, get me moved, dude, and warmest thanks. Thank each and every one of you who came out and helped me move and get me moved and settled in. Thank you, God, and bless you all. Love, Franny. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that as well. And so, again, the church family coming together and... Uh, I don't know where Cam is. Did he, he duck out or is he still around? He's getting coffee. Okay, good. I can talk about him then. Making cracks about how old I am. I mean, Cam and I are pretty close in age. And, uh, and I am a little confused right now. I don't know whether to get the boat ready and get out on the water or lose some weight and you know, sneak out on the ice. It kind of can go either way. Most likely I'll wait for open water. So, um, Although PJ's still trying to get me to eat vegetables. It's not working well, but... As we continue on, right, we're continuing on in our study of Ecclesiastes. Um, I had to uh, take a moment with God and, and ask for forgiveness. I've been struggling a little bit with Ecclesiastes, and I've made mention of that. And um, some people have said, why are you doing that? And, and that's a hard book. And, and then if I really believe, and I truly believe this, that God's word, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's all important. Why would I, or why should I be apologizing for the book of Ecclesiastes? And so I had to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I know you put it in there for a reason, right? But it is a struggle on just being open and honest. It's a struggle working through it. Dear Dave asked me this morning, he said, are you going to go through all of it, all 12 chapters? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pushing myself a little bit to go through it. And so with that, guess what? You're going to have to struggle along with me, but hopefully... And prayerfully, we can work through it together. And again, it is God's word, and so it is important. So if you're a visitor, just so you know, I ask questions. They're not rhetorical questions. So um, if you know the answer, feel free. If you don't know the answer, feel free, and, and we'll work through it together. But who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon, yes. When did he write it, most likely? The end of his life, right? As the, the king looking back through time, looking back through. He wrote most likely Song of Solomon uh, early on in his ministry, or not ministry, but in his reign. And then Proverbs somewhere in the middle. And then Ecclesiastes near the end. And so he's reflecting back. He's looking back as someone who has great wisdom. Right? God gave him wisdom. But yet he struggled. He struggled as a man, he struggled as a king, he struggled with things around him. And the, the key phrase, and you'll, you'll hear it even again today, right? The, the key phrase is, under the sun, right? It's all meaningless. What does that really mean, though? Ah, all right, someone mentioned it. Humanistically speaking, right? If you look at this from the lens of the world as an unbeliever, it's all meaningless, Right? It seems that way. It seems like there's no hope. Yet just the opposite is true, right? As believers in Christ, we have hope. And it does mean, our lives mean something. We have a purpose. So when I can look at it through that lens, it gives me compassion for the lost, right? They're chasing after the wind. It says that often, right? They're chasing after something they're never going to obtain. And even if they obtain it, it's not going to be satisfying, 
How scary is that? How, how sad that is to, to go through life chasing after something and never catching it, right? It's meaningless. And that's what Solomon is pointing out. He's over and over again, he's saying, as I look and I've observed and I've lived through this life, this is what I see and how sad that is. But we flip that as believers and we have a great hope, right? And so it's not meaningless to us. Our life has great purpose, great value. And so that's the backdrop And as we keep working through it. And one of the other things that Solomon does is he takes it in sections, right? And if you were with us last week, he talked about work, right? Working in a, a job, working for a paycheck, right? And if you have a job, you know how that works, right? You work all week, you get a paycheck, you pay your bills, and there's no money, you got to go work again. And it can seem like a never-ending cycle, Right? The, the old adage, you know, save up for retirement, which is not a bad thing, and I, I'm not saying against that, but if you look at it realistically, you work a long time to get retirement, and retirement is a very brief moment in time. And so if you live your life just for retirement, that may not be the best goal, if it's only for that. Again, I'm not making light of any of you that are retired. I, I always joke, the retired folks in our church are the hardest to catch up to. They're volunteering, they're busy, they're... they're, they're tough to get a hold of sometimes. If you're working a job, I know we're to each other two or three times. You're out there retired. You're all over the place. I bump into you. I think Lori and I ran into each other two or three times this week, so crossing in the community, and Don as well. Um, those retired folks are busy as well, but because they have meaning in their life. And so Solomon talked about that last week, that toiling the land and working and working and working, if that's all you do, it's meaningless in the end. In fact, he even says, the fool and the wise end up in the same spot. Kind of a downer from last week. And so again, as we take chapter 4, it goes into a little bit different take to it, a little different area of, of life. And some of it's philosophical, yeah, I can't even say that word, philosophy. And, uh, and again, some of that's a struggle as well. Can't even blame that on my Northeast accent at all on that one, so that's just Charlie. But Chapter 4 gets into that a little bit, right? He takes on the philosophy of the world, the philosophers of the time, and he talks about how even their words are meaningless, humanistically speaking. So dive in with me. Chapter 4, Solomon goes again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they had no comforter. You know, the injustice of things that are going on, and again, we see that, right? We see sometimes it's not fair. It doesn't look right. Those that are in power don't treat others correctly, right? They keep them down, sometimes at the expense of them. And Solomon is looking out, and he's seeing this, and he's seeing this happen, and, and he's saying how sad that is, right? And again, here, looking at it from that, humanistically speaking, they have no comfort, no one to comfort them, no one to rescue them. That's one, as believers, it's different, right? We do have a comforter, like that Holy Spirit. That's one of the, the many titles that's given to the Holy Spirit, right? He's a comforter, he's a counselor. He walks alongside of us. He can 
help us see that different perspective and give us comfort in those times when we're feeling oppressed and pushed down or even depressed, may I say it, right? But as the world looks at it, it's pretty bleak, right? If we look at it from that perspective, it's unfair, unjust. Verse 2, and I declare that the dead who have already died are happier than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. It's kind of a reoccurring theme in the Old Testament. If you've gone through the book of Job, you see that often, right? It would be better that I wasn't even born, right? To to be at that pit, to that, that lowest level, to get to that point where, you know what? It's better if I just never had been born. Sometimes I hear it even in today, and some folks will say, well, I wish I was born in another era or another time. Can I tell you that each time has its own struggles, right? There has been no perfect time since the fall. I think we, that was on the video. I think I was reading it on the scroll, right, with, when it talked about Cain and Abel and the fall and things that happened after that. Once sin entered, there's been no perfect time, and there will only be a perfect time when we get to heaven, That's going to be the perfect time. And so we have that to look forward to. That was a bonus point. It wasn't even in my notes. Verse 4. Again, Solomon looking out and he says, I saw that all toil, and toil is another word for working and, and, and putting effort into, and all achievements sprang up from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Or we envy, right? That's one of those, those, those words that's kind of a, you know, if we're envying something or we want something that we shouldn't have or something that we, we're attaining and we're going to take someone else to get over it or we're going to jump over them, maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's an object, maybe it's a thing, that envy of someone else at the expense of someone is wrong, right? It's a sin. We would look at it that way. And Solomon's saying here, I see that happening over and over. I see people in their, their, their lives and their work doing this, and yet it's meaningless. Because I know if you get it, it's not satisfying, right? All of a sudden, that's not enough. I want something more. Be careful. And we can fall into that same trap even as believers. We have to be careful that we don't chase after what somebody else has. We say, I have to be careful when I'm at the boat launch and I see a nice brand new bass boat. I'm like, man, boy, this this 84 is kind of rough. It'd be nice to have a little newer boat. Right? We can all fall into the trap. But if it comes at the expense of someone else, it's wrong, it's evil. And so, again, it's chasing after the wind, no matter what it is. Can even be our electronics and things like that, right? The, the newest game comes out. It's new for a while, but it doesn't take very long, and there's another version, another upgrade. I think Bryce was talking about hoping for an upgrade on our sound system this morning in some places. <laughs> Just the computer, okay. All right. The soundboard's fine. The computer's not, so, right? But as soon as you buy it, there'll be a new version come out probably in, within a few months, if, if not that. It's almost the same thing for the things that we chase as well. And so Solomon is saying here, humanistically speaking, it's meaningless. It doesn't have any meaning. 
So he's talking about work here, and now he shifts gears a little bit, and he talks about the opposite of working, right? And again, there's problems with that as well. It says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. There's a lot of Proverbs, actually. If you look through the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of talk about fools or foolish things that you do, but it also talks a lot about the sluggard, the person who doesn't work, right? I think one of the, the things that we have to be careful of is if we're not working, what do we do with our time when we're not working, right? And uh, the, the thought here is, is the folding hands, not just for a, a brief rest. That's not what I'm saying. Heidi, it's not a, indicative of your vacation. I'm glad you went, and Cam, you went on one as well, right? We need to take those, and that's fine. But it's when that long period of time, or we make it a lifetime, or a, a, a longer period than is necessary of taking a break and folding our hands and not working. There's many, many scriptures on that. It talks that we are meant to, to work. I often work with young men, and I say that's one of the, the great plights. If, if you're not putting your hand to something, not doing something to get that energy out, you tend to get in trouble, right, a lot of that time. I say it to men, but again, I think it falls true with women as well, but men is what I deal with, right? Idle time can bring ruin. And so work can be a good thing in its right perspective, right? Then he goes in verse 6, he says, Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls of toil and chasing after wind. Right? Again, I'm going to come to ruin, but then he's contradicting himself, right? He's saying, all right, if I don't work, I'm, I'm a fool and, and I'm going to come to ruin. But if I work, I have to be careful that I don't work too much, right? There's a, a tension there. And again, that tranquility is what is, is looking for, right? That's the, the, the sweet spot, if you want to call it, that peace. Having that healthy tension of doing both, but doing them in the right order and in the right amount. So it's kind of what he's talking about here. But even in that, we have to be careful about who we're working for. Thankfully, we have the New Testament talks about that, right? Paul talks about it in his letters a couple times that we work not as for the check or for the boss, but we work as though for the Lord. So if you put that together, again, Solomon doesn't have that at this point, but we can look back and say, oh, so yeah, work does matter, but it matters who we remind ourselves who we're working for and how much we work and what we chase after. I love how Scripture comes together that way. Verse 8. Again, he's shifting gears again. Solomon's, again, reflecting, and he's going through all these different things, and he's, he's just kind of, he's almost like speaking out loud here, and so it's not always coherent, but it changes his thought as he's going through it. But in each of them, there's great wisdom in this. And so he goes on to verse 8, it's a, a transition here. It says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And he goes back to that, that chasing. And he's a man that's all alone. He's going to talk now about relationships here a little bit, about being alone and being with someone, right? And again, there's another tension that goes on with that as well. I've heard there's a thing called introverts out there. I'm not sure. I have no understanding, but there's also extroverts, but both are needed, and there's a balance in both of them. If you go to the extreme, you're in trouble, right? right? Again, it's one thing to have a tendency, right? And that's your sweet spot. 
And there's some benefit to that. But if it's too much, it can become a hindrance. It can become hurtful and not helpful. Same thing with the other side of being an introvert. Being alone can be good and it's sweet for you and you enjoy that time. But if that's all you do and you never interact with others, you can become detrimental to yourself. You can become isolated. And so I think he's talking a little bit about that here in these next couple of verses. Again, here even with the work, he says, For whom am I tolling? Who am I working for? Would be another translation. He asks, And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Some strong language here. And again, he's, he's reflecting back and he's saying that, yeah, work, all work and no play here is it's tough. It's miserable. Why would I want to do that? And again, that's why we do take vacations and we take time off. And again, that's helpful to us. It's helpful to our bodies. Kind of interesting that God knew what he was thinking when he said, the seventh day rest, right? We're taking today to rest, most of us, and that's our, our Sabbath. Sometimes we can move that day because we need to, but a day of rest is needed. I remember the old story. It was an old pastor that used this illustration. Again, I'm probably going to date myself, but I'm saying an old pastor, so it's someone even older than me, but he talked about when they used to plow fields with horses, Right? And there was this farmer who worked six days a week and loved the Lord, and he would take the Sabbath off and give his horses a day of rest as well because he wasn't working. This other guy was you know, younger and more exciting and wanted to get more crops and wanted to get ahead, and so he would push and he would work seven days a week. And he never seemed to get ahead. His crops didn't really grow that much better. He didn't get any further ahead. In fact, his horses died earlier. Look, just one, but all of them. And as he kept going through that, he, he didn't see the, the, the correlation between the fact that he wasn't resting even his animals and even the land wasn't resting. And so in the end, he was no further ahead. In fact, the other gentleman was actually ahead who actually took the day off and rested not only himself, but the animals. And so it's actually part of creation to take that break. Not that God needed the break, but we need the break. And so finding that in your day is important as well. Taking that Sabbath, taking that rest. And so Solomon says, if you don't, or if you take too much rest, it can become meaningless. All right, back to the relationship part. I told you it was coming. Here it is now. Two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor, right? I always like that. That's always a, a good one for relationship-wise. And actually, I know it's hard to believe, but at one point, PJ and I used to do youth group. And so we would do some, some building of the group, youth group, and we would get a big log and we would say, go ahead and pick it up. And we knew the log was too heavy to pick up by yourself. And, and you'd watch, you know, even the strongest guy struggle with it, right? And then we would pick two younger, sometimes two women or two kids or, or two that were smaller, not as strong. And, of course, two people lifting it up were able to, to do that and move the log because two is better than one. And there's many examples and many things you can do to, to see that, right? But we help each other. I'm also old enough to remember Promise Keepers and a, a big believer in accountability partners. Some of you will resonate with that and remember that, right? 
having someone that you can confide in, someone you can talk to, someone that will tell you if you're wrong, right? Say, you know what, Charlie, you're going the wrong direction. Do it in love. I mean, they're not beating me up, but saying it strong enough and because of the relationship, I can change and make some changes. Right? I know it's an old concept, but it's still very valuable and encourage you to, to look into that as well. And again, that's part of that two are better than one, right? Different perspective. I know it to be true with PJ as well. My wife is really good at that. She sees things from a very different perspective, uh, the, the male-female aspect as well, but even being in relationship, how we look at things, how we do things, two are better than one. I get one side. I look at things only from maybe a guy's perspective. Again, there's many books that have been written on that as well. Love and Respect is one of those. And it talks about guys seeing through blue lenses and women through pink lenses. And that's a simplified version, but there is some truth to it as well. So we need each other, right? We need someone else in our lives. Having a friend is important. And it can help us in our work, it can help us in our well-being as a whole. It goes on to strengthen the argument. It says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. I always say, I'll help you up as soon as I stop laughing. <laughs> right? That sounds cruel, doesn't it? But it's, it's some truth to it, right? You know, if, if someone falls down, sometimes it's funny. You've got to admit. It's, it, but when I, I do care about that. I remember one time in New York, we were going out the car. We were actually on our way to church, and I walked around the car to to get the door for PJ, and I caught some ice, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm standing up nice and tall, and the next thing I did one of those, my feet both went out from under me, and I'm laying there on my back, and PJ tells the story that she asked how I was first. I just remember her laughing really, really loud. <laughs> I also remember the fact that I, I laid there for a little bit saying, all right, I need to take inventory before I get up, because things were not quite where they were supposed to be. I was fine, and we had a good laugh about it. But having someone else there to help us, right? Again, that can come in all points of life, right? Sometimes we fall, we trip up. Again, it may not be a physical fall, but it may be, we may be in a low spot in our life. We may be struggling with something, right? We may be, this time of year, many folks get into a pit, right? And we need someone to come alongside of us and help us up kind of live off their strength for a little bit, to get them, get them back up, pull them up a little bit. Of course, the good saying with that as well is I may have to get down a little bit to be able to reach and to pull you up, get down there with you and help you walk back up. So again, two are better than one. We need each other. We need another person in our lives. I would say we need many people in our lives. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one, how can one keep warm alone, right? Again, it's that having someone else alongside, that, that warmth. I like to translate that to, to comfort as well, right? It's, it's nice having that, that person, right? That person that, that gives you that hug or that, that warm embrace, right? I just went away this past weekend with a men's retreat, and I slept on a very small bunk bed, and uh, poor Jeff had to sleep in the same room, and, well, we tried to sleep. It, it was a lot of snow. No, not in the same bed. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad you clarified that. That's good. 
Thank you, Jeff. That's right. But same room, and it was, yeah, it wasn't a lot of sleep going on, right? We didn't have any problem with heat either. We had more than enough heat by the end of the night with the, the room, right? But when I got home last night, PJ was like, man, I am so glad. I did not sleep well. And I'm like, why didn't you sleep well? You had the bed to yourself, and, you know, it was nice and comfy. You didn't have me. And she goes, no, I missed having you next to me, right? And so, yeah, it, it was sweet. But again, that two is better than one, and the comfort that that brings and the security. Which leads into the next verse, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. I'm a very familiar one here, and quite often gets put into to wedding vows. It says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Right? I, think, I, think I've had, I know I've used that in many Many weddings, I've even had the illustration of the, the cords, right? And God being the third cord, and you wrap them together. And again, this is not only a practical thing, but it, it works well with our lives, right? When you twist cord together, it becomes very strong, and you can't pull them apart. One of them, you can snap fairly easy. In fact, if you look at most things, uh, back to those farming days when haying, right, the, the, they're twisted, Right? Because if they were straight, they break fairly easy. But holding a hay bale together even it works better if the cords are wrapped around, twisted. There's more strength than that. But even physically, it works well. But again, it works well with folks as well. And again, why that verse sticks out for weddings, right? Because that, that is a, a strong marriage, right? If you can bring that, that marriage couple with God in the middle and you wrap that around, and that relationship it is really strong you have a much better chance of succeeding with that. But you need that third strand. All right, rounding the bend here on chapter 4, verse 13. Again, he's shifting thought now. He's talked about how important it is to have someone else in your life. He talked about how it can be unfair when we look at the world as far as those that are being oppressed. And now he looks at the youth versus the old. Cam, you didn't even know this was going to be in here, right? So. It says, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. I think Solomon is sitting there and going, oh man, I just came up against a wall. I think this is Solomon's verse. I, I have no doubt that he looks at this and says, oh man, this is me. Again, if he wrote this at the time that we think he did at the end of his life, and again, you know the story of Solomon, he made many foolish decisions, and he got to that end, and he was so far away from God, right? He had everything a man could want, humanistically speaking, but yet his relationship with God was broken and no longer effective. And he, I'm sure he's sitting there going, the foolish king, I don't even heed the warnings, I can't even hear anymore. Again, if we take that out to our lives today, right? The further we get away from God, the more that we get enwrapped in sin, the further we get away, we don't hear God as clearly anymore. Transitions, and we can become that, that foolish king or person, right? I know that happens in my own life. The, the further away I get, and again, it's not God that's gone away, it's me. I'm the one that's walked away from him. And I need to get back to him. And so he makes this comparison here. Again, Solomon's looking back his life and saying, I've messed up. In verse 14, he says, the youth may have come from prison to the kingship. 
or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw all the who lived and walked under the sun follow the youth, the king's successor. Again, here, if you know the backstory, this kind of makes sense, right? I think I've mentioned before, right? Solomon has two sons after this. He has many sons, but he has two after who rise in power. And guess what? His sons, not so good. They did not rule well. They, in fact, they ruled terribly. One of them oppressed the people. Again, could have been even talking about them. He oppressed them so hard that they revolted. They rose up and it split the kingdom. In fact, the, the nation of Israel never did come back under the reigns of the kings. They remained two separate kingdoms. And they never got back to the quote-unquote glory days that Solomon had, that 40 years of peace. Right? You know the, the history, the church history there, and the, the history of, that we have in Scripture about the, the tribes, the ten tribes to the north and the two to the south, and the different kings that they had, and the, the ups and downs in their faith. They missed out. Well, that all started with Solomon's son. It started from the point of him passing on his reign to his boys. There was a lot of infighting and separation and false witness that went on from there. Generation to generation, a long ways afterwards, really spiraled from that point on. Again, Solomon didn't know the total outcome of this, but certainly he could see the handwriting on the wall. He knew where it was heading. And so he's reflecting back on that, and he's watching about who's taking over, and he's not happy. In fact, he's sad. He said, I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth and the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Taking from that a little bit, again, if we look at it humanistically speaking, if we put our trust in our leaders, it's not a political statement, but it is certainly one of those times when we can look at that. If we put our trust in our leaders, we can be sadly disappointed. They are most likely not going to lead the way that we think they should. They're going to disappoint us. In fact, they may out and out right, do things that we would not want or even go against what God's word says. And that can be very disappointing. It can be very disheartening. It can be very discouraging. But again, as I've mentioned through this, if we look at it through the lens of as believers today, right, who is our true leader? Jesus, right, the king of kings. He's the one that sees all this. He's the one that can rescue us be the one that comforts us. He can be the one that walks alongside of us. And so when we look at it from that perspective as believers, we have great hope, right? We don't have to be discouraged as the world is. We don't have to be down. We don't have to struggle as the world does with these things. Sometimes even as believers, though, we lose sight of that. We, we, we kind of get our heads down and we don't get our head or our eyes up. The old saying works very true, right? A good believer is walking in faith. He has one eye on the Lord and one eye on the world, right? We don't want to miss the loss. We don't want to leave everyone behind. We should be sharing, and we do have to live in this world. But don't forget where our destination is. Don't forget who our leader is, who we are following. 
So, <clears throat> so don't forget that. And again, that brings me great hope when I read through these scriptures. It also gives me great compassion for those around me. And should, for all of us, be willing to share the good news. Bow with me, please. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. And Lord, forgive me for those times when I look at your scriptures and I say, man, this is just too hard. And Lord, it's, I don't see the meaning in it. Lord, help me in those times when I get discouraged and down, when I look at those around me and I forget, Lord, that you are on the throne. Lord, help us as a body, Lord, that we not lose sight of you by our circumstances, by those around us, by the world that we see with our eyes. But Lord, that we know that you are our coming king. And we look forward to that, Lord. And Lord, may it stir our hearts. May we be more apt to not miss those opportunities that you give us, that we share you you with others. Help us even this week, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.